Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing of coming here on such a beautiful Sabbath day. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to come together as your children, seeking your face and desiring to know more about you. Lord, we're here because we're desperately in need of Jesus, and we see the mercies that he's shown to us before, and Father, we long to know more and more about you. We long to have the peace of Jesus just fill our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, we just pray that your spirit would come and that you would translate the words of Scripture into our heart, that you would speak to each one of us. And Father, by your grace, that we would be more involved in the work that you have for us, that we would see the vision that you have for us as your children, and that we'd be willing to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 9, so I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to go ahead and begin in verse 1. This morning we're going to take a snapshot at two different stories of the disciples, understanding what is it that the Lord did to make the disciples successful in the work that he had given them. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, and we're going to start off with the explanation of the commission that God had called his disciples to. Now, how many of you understand the fact that the very reason that you're sitting here in church today is because you're following Jesus, right? We're here to follow the Lord Jesus Christ And we understand that in following Jesus' example, that doesn't just mean coming to church and filling pews on Sabbath morning. You agree? But we understand that the calling of Jesus is one that causes us to model our lives after the life of Jesus. And I believe that's why we're here this morning. Lord Jesus, we want your life to fill our lives, right? And that's why we come to worship together so that we might see the goodness of God. Now, what is it that the Lord calls his disciples to do? Mark chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that Jesus called 12 disciples that they might be with him. How many of you think that Jesus wants to spend time with us? Amen. Isn't that a privilege that the God of the universe longs to spend time with his people? So that he calls disciples, or us as Christians, so that we can be with him. And the second part of that verse tells us that he might send us forth to preach. In other words, our mission as a disciple or as a Christian is twofold. One, to get to know Jesus more day by day and understanding His goodness and His love and His grace to us. And number two is sharing that with other people. The twofold call of the disciple. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at is what is it specifically that the Lord was calling the apostles to do in Luke chapter 9. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and we're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 says, Then he, Jesus, called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all what? Over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now does that sound very similar to what we just quoted from Mark chapter 3? Jesus wants them to be with him, but he wants to use them to send out the gospel. Now Jesus, in this description of of explaining the gospel or the, the method in which they're to use, says that there's supposed to be a healing component, just like Jesus did, right? He went around to all the cities of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, healing all manners of sickness and disease. And Jesus was calling his disciples to have that ability as well, to meet people's physical needs, as well as their spiritual needs through preaching the gospel. Well, this morning we're not going to be talking about the method of Christ, but we just want to understand that this is what the Lord was calling each disciple of his to do. 
And my question this morning is, was it possible or were the disciples able to fulfill the call which God had given them? Now, we're going to go ahead and skip down a few verses in Luke chapter 9 and go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. So we have this in mind, what the Lord was calling the apostles to do. He was calling them to cast out demons. He gave them power to do that, to heal the sick and to preach the gospel. Now, does that sound anything to you like the great commission that the Lord has given us? You know, Matthew chapter 28, he gives us the great commission. It tells us to preach the gospel to all nations. And in Mark's version of that commission, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it includes the ability and the, the idea that we need to have medical work working with the proclamation of the gospel message. So not only was this commission supposed to be given to the 12 disciples, but it was supposed to extend down to us today. And now the question is, were the disciples able and capable in carrying out the command in which the Lord had given them to be able to share the gospel and touching the lives of people around them and preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Notice Luke chapter 9 and verse 37. It says, now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude crying, cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you to look on my son, for he is my only child, and behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. Now, I want to ask you a question. What's happening to this young man? He's possessed by, what does the Bible say? By a spirit, right? A devil. And it goes on to continue and to say that explicitly, that there's a demon working in this young man and it's convulsing him and it's thrashing him. And, it, and this man is coming to Jesus saying, my son has this condition and he needs healed. Now, is this the command that Jesus had given to his disciples in order to have power over these types of things? Right? Power over devils? to heal manners of diseases, and to preach the gospel. That was the call we just saw in Luke chapter 9. And now we see a man coming to Jesus and his disciples who is dealing with this very thing that Jesus said was to be addressed by his disciples. But notice verse 40. The man says, So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could what? But they could not. Now, I don't know about you. Can you imagine being a disciple here? Jesus gives you the command and he tells you, hey, I'm giving you all the power that you need to be able to heal people who have issues with demons, have sickness, and to preach the gospel. And as we look at the chronology in Luke, it seems like only nine days have passed since Jesus just gave that message to his disciples. So it's fresh in their mind. And as this man comes in contact with the disciples of Jesus, the disciples, thinking that they have the power from God in, in order to accomplish the task that God had given them to do, try to cast out this demon, but was it successful? Now, would you be a little bit discouraged about that? How many of you have ever seen that the Lord has given you a commission to take the gospel to the entire world, but you seem incapable of doing it? Maybe you're nothing like me. I can just tell you from my, my experience, I remember being a Bible worker of our local church for two years, knocking on doors every day, 20 hours a week, spending time with people, giving Bible studies. And you know how many baptisms there were in two years? One. And it was actually my partner who had the baptism. And you begin to wonder, Lord, what is it 
that's keeping me from being able to carry out the very thing that you've called me to do? Is the reason why the disciples were unable to heal the son from the demon possession because the Lord didn't call them to do it? No, the Lord specifically called them to do it. So why is it that they were incapable of freeing this young man from the torture of Satan? Notice this continues on. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the Lord, when he sees us messing up, he's able to fix the problems. Amen? Luke chapter 9, verse 41, it says, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the one we serve is able to do what we can't do. That even when we fail of being able to do the things that he calls us to, he can intervene because he loves his people so much. And God is still willing to do that today. But my question still is, why is it that the disciples were incapable of carrying out the very command and mission that the Lord had given them? Now, let's just continue reading. We see that the disciples were incapable of doing it. Jesus' power was able to free this young man from the slave of sin. And that reminds us that the Lord can do it in our lives as well. As any of us are facing anything that Satan throws in our way and it seems like we can't get released from it as hard as we try, well, the news is, is that we can't free ourselves from any bad thing, but that we need the Lord's power working in our lives to do it. Amen? But after we see this experience, notice what happens in verse 43. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now, are you getting this picture? Jesus just cast the, the demon out of this man and everyone's marveling and seeing all these great things. And at this time, Jesus sees that this is a great teaching opportunity. And as he turns to his disciples, he says, hey, I want to let you know that I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And what is Jesus talking about here? What is he foretelling? His death, right? The crucifixion. And Jesus is saying, hey, you might see great things happening now, but I just want to let you know that there's a day coming in the very near future where I'm not going to look this successful, right? Where even though people love me now, there's going to be a time where everyone is going to forsake me and I'm trying to warn you so that you won't be shaken out of that experience. Now, did the disciples understand it? No, I mean, they're still just caught up in, this is amazing, I can't believe the Lord can just cast out demons. We couldn't do that. We realize we're powerless, but he can do it. And what did, what did he just say? I, I don't know what he said. And notice the very next thing that happens. Verse 46. Right after this miracle takes place, right after Jesus is trying to explain his mission, says, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the what? The greatest. In the midst of a miracle of the Lord, his servants who he was trying to inform about his mission were distracted by their own desire of pride and self-glory. You see, at the time when Jesus was trying to teach a crucial, crucial lesson, 
when Jesus was trying to use his disciples in his work to be able to heal people and release them from the bonds of sin, at this very time when Jesus is trying to teach them about self-denial and sacrifice that Jesus himself is modeling, his disciples' attitude and mind turns and they become focused on how can I better myself and get better than that guy over there. I mean, can you imagine this picture as Jesus, as James and John are walking there, they start to push you, oh man, you know, I'm really better than you. And Peter reminds them, well, just remember, Jesus loves me a lot more than he loves you guys. And they start to argue over who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you a question. Do you think it's possible that the reason why the disciples weren't able to fulfill the mission and commission that the Lord had specifically given them was because they were more concerned about themselves than they were about the Savior? Do you think that it's possible that they were more concerned about their own glory than they were about the Gospel? That gossip was more popular than spreading the message? And as they realize this condition, Jesus looks at them and starts to think, what can I do about this? And he starts to teach them, and he brings the child, and he says, I want to let you guys know that whoever is least will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he begins to try to help his disciples realize that with this spirit of disunity and with this spirit of self-exaltation, it is impossible for you to be able to carry out the very work that I have called you to do. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think that these same types of things could be limiting the work of God today? Do you think it could be limiting our own personal growth with Jesus? Do you think we could be trying to understand the Bible and trying to be winning souls or trying to share the gospel with our neighbors? But the reason why we're seeing so little growth in the Christian life and no success in the mission of God is because self is in the way and it's the most prominent things in our mind. What would happen if the Lord was able to help us as His children come into unity what if the Lord was able to work so that we could press together for one cause and so that no longer were we divided over who's best and who's greater, but instead the most prominent and important things in our mind would be how can I carry forward the mission of God? Do you think the Lord could do something in His church? You know, today we don't use the same words that the Bible writers use to describe this argument. None of us would admit that we run around in arguments saying, well, I'm actually better than you, or I'm actually better than you. But we've become a little more sophisticated in our boasting in the world today. Instead of coming around in church and, and telling someone that we're better than them, we found another way through the back door in which we can look just as good without saying so many words. And we know that if we can belittle someone else, that it can lift us up. Because as long as I can cut everyone else down around me, then I can exalt myself in the same time. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? And we now see it, maybe in church today, you don't have one person walking around saying, well, I'm actually greater than you all, and I just want to remind you of that. But Satan is so sophisticated now in his work that instead, we have people, and maybe some of us are guilty of this ourselves, and I know I can look at my own life and see many times where I've been divisive. And we can realize that we're running around belittling other people, talking behind their back, gossiping and causing division and trying to do all that we can so that we expose the errors of those around us and at the same time we're exalting ourselves through it. Now I want to remind you of something that this is the very thing that cost Lucifer his place in heaven. 
You see that it was Satan who started to gossip about God. We realize that gossip doesn't even have to have any truth to it, right? God is all perfect. But yet Satan started gossiping about the unfairness of God's kingdom. You can read in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14 where Satan starts going around and telling people and trafficking his words and pushing this idea that really Satan is just, intellig- is just as intelligent as God is and that he wants to be like God. Now he even goes so far as to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and tells Eve that, well, God really doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just really unfair. But if you do that, if you go ahead and eat the fruit, you'll just be like God and you'll be more exalted. And I wonder how many times we have this same spirit working in the church today and we allow it to move forward and we wonder why the mission of God is hindered. You see, the Lord is calling for people to not continue in gossip, but to start promoting the gospel. The Lord is wanting us to be more concerned about Christ and His mission than about self and our own desires. You see, Jesus sets up this perfect example. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus reminds His disciples. In verse 23, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says this, Then He said to them, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him do what? Deny himself. It doesn't say make sure that he's treated fairly, right? But deny himself. Take up his cross. Does that sound very comfortable? Not only once a week, but daily. And follow me. Jesus wants the disciples to understand one very important thing. He longs to do great things through them. Jesus longed to use the disciples to turn the world upside down, but it was because their desire and self was so prominent that the blessing of God was limited. And it's because God is helping us to understand that it is impossible for us to be a self-indulging person and think that we're a Christian. It's only as we learn to follow the example of Jesus that we can really experience the blessings of God. Did the Lord ever get what He rightly deserved? Was Jesus treated fairly when He came to this earth? Let's just trace the steps that Jesus took from going from the courts of heaven, being exalted by the adoration of the angels, and deciding that he was going to become like one of us. Now that's a pretty low step. Even if Jesus would have become like one of us in the kingly sense, or in power on earth, that would have still been a huge drop for Christ. But Jesus, no, 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 he didn't become just one of the best of us. But Jesus came and He left the courts of heaven to become one of the worst of us. He understood what it was like to go hungry. He lived in poverty. He knew what it was like to work hard. And as Jesus realized the sacrifice, He saw you and I and He knew it was worth us. Now anytime any of you think that your lot is just unfair or that your life is too hard, remember Isaiah chapter 53 where Jesus tells us that He came to His own And his own didn't even know him. Now can you imagine this? Coming to your own people and trying to talk with them and you're rejected by the very ones that you came to save. This is the experience of Christ. He was not only rejected by them in a general sense, but his very twelve, his closest apostles, denied him at the time he needed him the most. Do you see Jesus gossiping about them? Do you see Jesus going around and fault-finding with them? 
Were, were there enough reasons for Jesus to gossip about them? Absolutely. But as Jesus realizes that his lot was one of self-denial, not self-exaltation, he continued to live the life that only could bring a salvation. You realize that Jesus even dying on the cross was the most unfair thing that could ever happen, humanly speaking. Jesus was treated as I deserved. He took the sins that I laid upon him. And he gave me his righteousness so that I could experience the blessing of heaven. How many of you think that's fair? But we see the life of a Christian and the life of following Jesus' example is one of denial every step of the way. I hear way too many Christians say, well, the Lord couldn't be calling me to do that because I know he wants me to be happy. And that wouldn't make me happy. I want to ask you, did the cross make Jesus very happy? Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to be happy. He tells us that he's come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But what Jesus shows us is that the happiness that we have in God comes as we learn to deny ourselves and put God first and others second. I wonder what would happen if the Lord was able to transform our church and if the Lord was able to transform my heart to where I wasn't so worried about self, but to where the mission of God was our first priority. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and hold on your seat, make sure not to get whiplash, because we're looking at such a juxtaposition here of positions that the disciples were experiencing. Luke chapter 9, all we see is bickering and not understanding the mission of God and complaining and fault-finding and utter confusion for what God was calling them to do. But praise the Lord, the Lord doesn't leave us there, amen? I'm sure the Lord has been so merciful to me as he's looked down in my own life and he could describe my life much worse than was described in Luke chapter 9. But notice what happens in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us something that is entirely different than what we see in Luke chapter 9. It says, when the day of Pentecost had what? Fully come, they were all with what? One accord in one place. Now, I don't know about you, but I read Luke chapter 9, and I, then I read this verse, and I think, how in the world did they go from arguing about who's the greatest while Jesus is right there next to them to where Jesus is crucified, and now they're finally in one mind? We're reminded that Acts chapter 1 took place. That there was a time where the disciples came to the upper room as described in Acts chapter 1, 12 verses, verses 12 through 14. That the disciples, after they saw Jesus crucified, after they realized the seriousness of their mission, they realized there was no way that they could carry it out. And the Spirit had promised them, the Lord had promised them that if they would wait in Jerusalem and they would plead, that when the Spirit had come upon them, He would give them power to carry out the mission that God had called them to do. It was power that they were lacking in John chapter 9, or Luke chapter 9. And as they're there in the upper room, they don't, just pray a, they don't just pray a quick prayer, but they plead with the Lord all day. And the promise of the Spirit still isn't there, so what do they do? They pray another day, and they pray another day, and they pray a week, and they pray for 10 days, and they're pleading that the Lord would do something to transform His church. They see that God longs to use them, but they look back on their past history and see that God was incapable of using them because of their disunity. And you can imagine being in that upper room 
As Peter walks over to Andrew and says, Andrew, I'm so sorry for what I said to you that one time. I really ask that you would forgive me. Please, if there's anything between us, can we come back together? And the disciples start to work through this. And as James chapter 5 tells us, as they confess their faults one to another, they begin to experience the healing that only God can give. And at the end of those ten days, they had lowered self to a spot where the Holy Spirit could work in their lives. Self was no longer the most important things, but the mission of Jesus was the most precious thing in the life of his disciples. After this experience happens, the Lord was able to take a bunch of grumbling, backbiting, gossiping, self-exalting people and turn them into the most prominent, powerful, evangelists of the New Testament church. The Lord was able to take the ones who had just denied his Lord a few days earlier to now preach the most powerful sermon at Pentecost. And this wasn't just a beat around the bush type sermon, but Peter preached such a straight sermon that it says it cut the people to the hearts. And as a result of this, what happened? It says the Lord added to the church 3,000 that very day. You know, I wonder if the reason why we have evangelistic experiences that resemble Luke chapter 9 instead of Acts chapter 2 is because self is in the way. I wonder if it's because myself as your pastor is too exalted. I wonder if it's you sitting in the pews itself is too exalted. That your opinions, your desires, your, your views of things are so exalted that we can't focus on the mission of Jesus. But what would happen if by the grace of Jesus we could allow Him to mold and to shape our hearts and to where we could be open and clean vessels for His Spirit to be poured out into and that God could work in such a powerful way that He could wrap up His work on earth. You know, we have a very special time coming up this month. As many of you know, the Unlock Revelation series, March 28 is when it begins. And God is longing to do great things in the hearts of the people in the community of Ithaca and the surrounding communities. But my question is, is what is going to happen as a result is very much determined by our hearts and our willingness to allow the Spirit to be poured out. You see, when we're so full of self, there's no room for the Spirit to dwell. But when we allow the Spirit to empty us of ourselves, to esteem others better than ourselves, to work together in unity, and to see the purpose and the mission that Jesus has given us, the Spirit is able to do amazing things. You see, the church isn't just trying to hold another event. I'm not interested in just preaching for 21 nights because that's what I enjoy doing in my free time. But you see, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why we're investing in this, it's because Jesus tells us that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus tells us that there's salvation that He's freely offering to the worlds around us and that people need to know. Jesus tells us that we're living in a time of judgment as foretold in the three angels' messages and it's time to get serious with God. And we're going to the community to preach the Gospel. You see, the thing that gave the disciples efficiency and actually made it effective in their work was not because they changed the method, right? It was because they did the very thing that Jesus did. 
They weren't looking for new means and new methods. Their advertising wasn't any better. But the thing that made the difference was that they allowed the Spirit to work with them. And as the Spirit spoke to hearts, lives were transformed. The Lord was able to use the same messed up group of people who had failed before and see success this time. I don't know what your past experience has been like in evangelism, but maybe you're distraught and thinking that it doesn't work. But I can guarantee that if it's not working, it's not a problem with our Savior. And it's not a problem with His willingness to bless people. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Scripture tells us. But the issue is, is am I standing in the way? Are you standing in the way? Are we a clean vessel for the Lord to bless? I don't know if we understand the seriousness of the work the Lord has entrusted to us. We're not just holding a series of meetings for the fun of it. We're not just trying to get more members for this church. We're not just trying to have more people to spend time with. But the reason why we do this is because it's what we're told to do by Jesus. The reason why we do this is because it's a life or death situation for those who listen. Now, if you don't believe that, I would encourage you to study the three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14. It's very clear that God has a warning message that He wants to send to the world, and there are people who will be left out of His kingdom if we don't invite them. You know, I had an experience that really shook me up when I was canvassing in Arizona. It had been a long day, and I remember going into business after business after business and trying to share books with people and get them interested. And I was sharing the great controversy with this one guy, and he just, oh, you know, to be 100% honest, I'm just not interested in spiritual things. I don't really want it. And for a moment, you know, I thought, well, that's okay. I'll just let it be. I'll let it go. I don't want to make a big scene out of this, right? I don't want to plead with him too much. There's other people watching. You know, what's the big deal if he doesn't want something? And he said, well, no, no problem. We'll see you later. Have a great day. And he walked out the door. And those words started to ring in my mind. I'll see you later. And I started to think, where in the world am I going to see him later? I'm not from here. I live two hours away. And the Lord said, the only time you might see him later is if he's standing outside of the kingdom. And you might be looking through that transparent wall thinking, I wish I would have done a little bit more to help this man understand the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we become pushy and we become irritating. But what I am saying is that we become persistent in helping people to understand the importance of knowing Jesus. I believe the Lord's calling us as His people to say, I'm not willing to see my friends, my family, my neighbors, my co-workers go down into a Christless grave, but Lord, by Your grace, I want to make a difference. Like the disciples in Acts chapter 2, I want to be so consumed by the mission of Jesus that everything else is put aside and I allow the Spirit to fill me to make a difference in my community. And we're saying, Lord, please, I don't want to be the same as I was the last series, or I don't want to be the same that I was yesterday or today, but Lord, I want to be transformed that Your mission is the most important thing in my life. I don't know about you, but this is my prayer. Lord, may we not just hold another series of meetings to hold another series of meetings. May we not just go out to share the community, uh, share with the community the gospel of Jesus Christ when we ourselves are so divided. But may we say, Lord, by Your grace, I want to put differences aside. I want to do whatever it takes to be in unity with every member in this church, with every person in my family, with every person that I interact with. And I believe the Lord is calling for us to be active in that. I remember when the Lord convicted me of many of the things this same message seven years ago. 
and I realized that I had to start confessing to people that I had wronged. I remember picking up the phone and calling people I hadn't seen in years and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry for the things that I did to hurt you. And it was one of the hardest things I'd done in my life to call person after person after person to go talk to my family and say, I'm sorry for treating you like that. Here's what was really going on. I'm sorry for stealing from you. Here's the repayment of it. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong, but Lord, by your grace, I just want to be reconciled with those around me. And sometimes I didn't have the most favorable responses from those I apologized to. But I can tell you there was a peace of God which I'd never experienced in my life before. There was finally a point where, to my knowledge, there was nothing between me and someone else. And I just wanted to say, Lord, please, do whatever it takes for me to walk in unity with those around me. Lord, I don't want to just continue to sit and fill a pew with people that I hate sitting five rows behind me. Lord, I don't want to have dissension and discord in the church. If there's anyone I don't love in this church, I understand that I cannot be having the Spirit of God dwelling in me with that attitude. Jesus tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, that if we can't love our brother who we see on earth, that it's impossible for us to love God who's in heaven. And it's not okay for us to continue to walk in disagreement. I believe the Lord's calling us to be a people who put differences aside, who like the apostles, we're varying in personality. We have passive people. We have aggressive people. But we all need to come together to work for the gospel. We realize that we might be divided on certain issues, but we say, Lord, help us to be able to talk about these things in a Christ-like way. And Lord, may you be glorified through this experience. See your desire this morning as you hear this, Lord, I want to be a clean vessel for your spirit to use. Lord, I don't want to continue to be so filled with self that there's no place for your spirit. Lord, I want to be more concerned about the Savior than I am about my own reputation. Lord, I want to be a servant to others instead of always making sure that I get my way. If this is your desire this morning, I'll just invite you to raise your hand and say, Lord, please, just give me this spirit. Lord, help me just to experience the unity, the spirit of Christ so filling my life that I, we can have the blessing of the Lord. One of my favorite quotes comes from Maranatha, page 104. And it says, There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. There's no limit. The Lord longs to pour out His Spirit in Ithaca. The Lord longs to pour out His Spirit this year and reaching people like we've never seen before. And I can guarantee you that it's not going to come because we do something different or because we're more effective or we're smarter this time. But the only way that we're going to see the blessing of the Lord is when we're like the apostles and we get on our knees and we begin to plead with the Lord that He would transform our lives first. And that He would bring us into unity with those we're not in. And that we would spend time visiting the people we have difficulties with. And we would say, Lord, please, and to that person, help us to come together. And I believe the Lord will pour out His Spirit in a measureless way. And we're going to see Pentecost happen again here. It's not because I'm the pastor. It's because the Lord is still the same Savior who was able to take a bunch of rough guys and make them polished workers for His kingdom. That's my prayer this morning. Lord, would you please place your spirit in our lives 
so powerfully that we would be able to have one purpose, and that's the purpose of your cause. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.